I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to this bonus episode of Three Brothers Filmcast. Um, so on the website over the last few weeks, in anticipation of Avatar The Way of Water, we've been doing a James Cameron retrospective, giving very deep dive reviews, almost essays on each one of his feature films. And so I thought we would have uh, spend an episode, a shorter episode, just talking about films of James Cameron and kind of keeping people's focus on on his work as as everybody like everybody's going to go see Avatar The Way of the Water over the Christmas holidays. Um, I thought we'd maybe start with the fact that Anton, I remember at the when we started this retrospective, when we were talking about it, you were you kind of brought up this idea that you were the James Cameron skeptic of the three of this because you very much knew that, like, I'm a huge Avatar booster. Anders really loves the abyss, but you kind of approached it with a little bit more trepidation. So I'm curious whether revisiting all these movies has changed your mind at all about James Cameron or, or like, what do you make of his films now? Well, I think uh, part of my initial skepticism was I knew I had to be a balancing act against you, Aaron, because I was worried <laughs> you're going to go off the deep end or fly to the moon in your praise. And I'm worried that maybe you have, but uh, no, I think overall, my overall, like any sort of skepticism I had is gone. And I think it's confirmed for me that Cameron is one of our great blockbuster filmmakers. And I think a lot of it is just that I, it occurred to me that I had not actually watched basically any Cameron movies, probably since Avatar came out in 2009. Like it had been years. Like I was looking in my movie journal and it's been years since I saw uh, Terminator, Terminator You don't 2, just watch T2 occasionally? Well, so this is, this is the thing is that like I've never been, so I've never been like a huge Cameron fan. I remember when I was getting into movies, you know, watching The Abyss, the Terminator movies, Aliens, things like that, thinking that they were really good blockbusters. And you're like, okay, this guy makes really good blockbusters. Um, but as I said in my reviews, you know, like I didn't see Titanic when it came out. I didn't really particularly like it when I saw it on home video. Uh, when I saw Avatar originally in 2009, I was like blown away by the the immersive experience of seeing it in 3D. And I've only ever seen it in theaters. But I, I actually midway through the movie was sort of losing interest in the actual storyline. Um, so I was coming at Cameron being like, okay, like, is this guy so great? And I think in a lot of ways he is, especially as a, as a, uh, technical filmmaker, um, making films of exceptional clarity, um, hugely entertaining, crowd pleasing. So, you know, I think he's legitimately great. And this reminded me and confirmed for me that he is, and he should be remembered. I still don't come away from this being like, you know what? Like, I'm never going to watch Cameron movies as frequently as I watch my Spielbergs and my Lucas films. His movies just don't really speak to me in that in the same way. But I, I am reminded that he is really good. And in a, a few movies we can talk about later, uh, I'll let you guys speak. Um, I have sort of drastically changed my mind about. So I don't know, uh, in terms of you guys, like, was there any key takeaways because I feel like in some sense I was worried that like well I I feel like at this point I'm like I'm here to kind of even though I'm thinking Cameron's great I'm here to kind of block you guys from uh turning this site into like a Cameron stand site one thing I think's fun is that uh Cameron um is like one of the other great Canadian filmmakers and so we did our you know retrospective on Cronenberg so it it it's a it's a nice balance and Cronenberg is obviously in some ways very very different (laughs) In many ways, very, very different from Cameron in terms of his, his style of filmmaking and, and that kind of thing. But I think I think it's a nice uh, it's been nice to dig into someone who is, uh, you know, a, a, I think a one of the great film English language popular filmmakers, uh, you know, who, who comes from Canada. That said, like for me, as Anton alluded, like 
And then you alluded, Aaron, like, I, w- I was a fan of his early films, particularly, uh, I really liked The Abyss. Um, and, you know, I yeah, like, I remember buying, watching that quite yeah. a few times with you. On yeah, because I bought the, to this day, which is still probably the only decent, uh, since there's no Blu-ray release um, of The it's Abyss. It's coming out in 4K soon. Good. It actually is. Yes. They've, they've had the file for a while. Uh, the, the, the old special edition DVD from, I think, 2001 Is that the two. Steelbook one? It's not a steel book, no? no, but it's okay. the, one of those Fox two-disc uh, special edition ones. Anyway, still like that movie a lot. Um, I was always a big fan of Terminator 2. It's one of, as you said, Aaron, it's one of those, you throw it on and just roll with oh, it, yeah. or you catch it on television even, and, and you you know, you you see a scene midway through the movie on TV and you just keep watching it to the end because it just draws you in. It's one of the, the great action uh, sci-fi movies of all time. I gained a new appreciation for the original Terminator, maybe, uh, you know, time in my life and uh, just appreciating what he does with such a low budget. It, it It's one of my very favorite, if not my favorite Cameron film now. Like I think the Terminator is, as I said, it, it made such an outrageous comparison in our uh, first round table. Yeah, I still it, it's kind of a, a Citizen Kane in the sense that this is a young guy being finally given the keys to the, the you know, to work in Hollywood and like, you know, very few people have debuts like that i mean like or or very early films you know something similar would be like spielberg with jaws like and i was his third feature but still like you know cameron bursts onto the scene in that way so i i really love that one i think that first four run film run and it is fantastic i also um, it might be can we just say like do you think that there's i was just trying to think like is there a director who has like that's a really impressive run of, of yeah. four movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like Terminator, uh, the Aliens. Abyss. Sorry, Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, Terminator Two. Like those four movies, you're like, I. It'd be hard pressed to find another director who does that four in a row. Yeah, but you not know, not for like, one genre either. Yeah, that's the exactly. yeah, and in yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I probably this time around, I appreciated Titanic more than the last time I watched it, which was probably about a yeah, year I did ago too. when the. I also went to the theater. For the in September to see the re-release of Avatar, the original film in the 4K IMAX experience, and I haven't seen that since the theater either. And my estimation of Avatar went up quite a bit, so I'm, I'm also much more excited for the new one. So. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about this specific retrospective compared to some of the others, it's probably we've done popular film retrospectives. We did James Bond, we did Star Wars we're looking at kind of popular modes and, and these through lines within the production history or the filmmakers, what they're trying to do with this stuff. But it was in those two cases, it's not one filmmaker, even as much as star Wars, it's George Lucas looms over it. Obviously there's other people involved, especially with the Disney ones. And so with this, it was really interesting to examine a filmmaker who I think a lot of people take for granted as a kind of like popular filmmaker. Right. And it's the idea of, well, what is there to know about James Cameron beyond like, Oh, he makes a really good action scene and he has like cool sci-fi stuff. He's a bit corny and he's the biggest director ever in terms of like box office success. And it's that kind of approaching it in a way to like dig into, Oh, there's, there's not just like technical or entertainment successes here or through lines there's like an there is a genuine uh tourist approach a genuine yeah. like obsessive filmmaker read that you can give for any you know the greatest auteurs of all time but it's just interesting to read this through line in a guy who every single one of his movies fits that bill except for you know except for his documentaries but even those are meant for general documentaries. even the documentaries offices, though reveal yeah. the same interests and obsessions even if they're a different mode of filmmaking but it's just it's so fascinating to be like this 
This is a man who has made the dichotomy of technology like his, his central obsession. You know, every time AI, every time robotics automation, every time, you know, advanced weaponry comes up in our news, Terminator is always a thing. And so, you know, I'm listening to say like a CBC Ideas podcast and they're talking about what are the threats of automation and this and that. And then somebody's like, well, you know, it's not going to be a Terminator. Ha 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 ha. Everybody laughs in the audience and stuff. And it's like, that's, you know, one of those iconic things that he's created, this concept of like Skynet the autumn the ai comes alive and immediately decides yeah. it's going to kill humanity off and then it's a you know it's a thing that stephen hawking in the last two decades of his life became like obsessed with as like no there's a real threat you can't just like take yeah. this <laughs> not seriously but he's also aside from maybe george lucas ang lee spielberg to some extent robert zemeckis he's the most technically obsessed popular filmmaker in hollywood mm -hmm. in the sense that he invents the technology that allows yeah. him to make the next movie and so like how it's so fascinating that the central fixations of James Cameron as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, as a technician are all technological based. Like mm -hmm. he's created the nightmare of technology that gives us the foundation upon which things like the Matrix are built. He also gives us the creative potential of technology in the, you know, the practical effects work in the CGI, in the pioneering of motion capture and 3D and new camera technology and deep sea technology. And he seems to build that into the story, especially with, I think, T2, if we look at it as kind of like a pivot point, right? The Abyss, you got a bit before, but it's this idea of the CGI, or not the CGI, but the, the, the creations, the technological creations or characters in the film allow humans a way forward to like heal and, and learn and actually yeah. become more human in the process. The T-800, Arnold in T-2, learning to become like a perfect father to John Connor is the thing that points. It's like, oh, that's what Cameron thinks technology can be. It's like you can take this destructive thing and turn it into the most amazingly creative thing ever. And it's just, it's so interesting. It's in every one of his movies. It's even in Titanic, which as you said, Anton, is, is a time travel movie. It's a yeah. movie about literally like the film brings the Titanic back to the surface. Like, that's what it does. Are you ready to go back to Titanic? You know, I was just thinking about, you compared him to a lot of uh, other filmmakers in various ways. Maybe the director who picks up some aspects, weirdly, of the mantle of uh, Cameron the most might be actually Christopher Nolan in some ways with their technical obsession of like, I mean, yeah. Nolan obviously is even though they're stylistically highly yeah, different, stylistically very different, but they both work in popular modes and they're both like get their auteurist uh, interests on, into like almost every film very, very deeply. Um, but also just like, you know, people talking about like the way that Christopher Nolan now apparently for like Oppenheimer has like pioneered a new way to like uh, recreate a <laughs> the visual of a nuclear blast. Yeah. I like the idea that he actually created a nuke, but um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so that he didn't have to do it with CGI or like in uh, Tenet, like we're going to crash this plane for real, you know. But also like are there are there two directors who have more, two directors who in many ways are kind of humanists, mm -hmm. um, non-religious individuals who have made the idea of movie going and the theatrical experience a religious experience. Like they built yeah, yeah. that into the very foundation of their whole approach. Well, I think... I, th I actually just think a lot of that is that both Nolan and Cameron, unlike, unfortunately, I think a lot of filmmakers in Hollywood, they deeply respect their audience. And both of these both of these filmmakers often talk about that when they ask you to come to the movie theater for one of their big movies, they they have to deliver. 
it's not this sort of Marvel, like you just show up every few months because we're pumping out another one. Or, you know, yeah. or even just other stuff. They, they they legitimately feel the stakes that they have to deliver something that's worth your time, that's both entertaining and, like, actually has some substance to it. And and they they genuinely love the craft of it, right? Like, both of these guys get their hands dirty. You, you'll you see them. Like, they the way that Nolan would get, you know, working with the actual models for the special effects and Cameron in so many different avenues of the filmmaking process. So these people, they, they love the craft, they respect the audience, and they're, like, they're, they're, they're so essential to cinema right now because they're making films where people part of the brand for them is not just that you're going to get more of the same is that you're going to get a special experience. He's like, you know, they're like, give me your money and I will give you that special experience. If they're not just expecting you to waste your time on them. Yeah. And it's interesting how both of them are also they're 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 very technically adept and they're from stories you get in the media and also stories I've heard from people who have worked on these productions, friends of friends and so forth. They're both the type of directors that understand every element of the production in that mm. they can go up to a key grip. They can go up to a sound technician. They can go to the CGIers and they can speak to that specific area of the filmmaking in like a very particular technical sense so that everybody is, can be like, Oh, this, they might be a taskmaster in some ways. I think Nolan's a lot more low key. Like he's not going to yell at people in front of everybody, but he might like quietly tell you to do a yeah. much better job. His intensity works in a different, yeah. different uh, engagement. But everybody, everybody respects the fact that like these guys care. They put in the work and they understand. And so I think, that, and then they also have, you know, a deep, a deeply committed fan base online to both of them. <laughs> yeah. They're very popular. Their movies, you know, since their second movie, their movies have been hits every single mm-hmm. one yeah. but then you also have a kind of casual dismissal dismissal even uh, within the critical establishment even if they kind of acknowledge that oh he's, they're important but it's that's just and you know it's just um gust up entertainment like at the end of the day it's not important movies so what 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 the, i have just two points i want to jump in here what what i find that interesting what that says about say cameron and, and like nolan i think that's an interesting comparison um so they're both two people whose interest is the filmmaking business not the business that's going on around films. Neither of these guys seems to really care about living a Hollywood life, right? Neither, neither of them now live in Hollywood, from what I understand, or at least most of the time. Um, like Cameron's permanently now in New Zealand. Um, they're, but they are obsessed with making films and figuring out how to do that and spend so much of their day on these things. And what that reminds me of um, is another great auteur was Alfred Hitchcock, who treated his making movies like his like nine to five job who like, you know, shows showed up in his suit, worked on his, his movie till like dinner time. And then they shut down the production. But, you know, as soon as he was done one production, he was working on the drafts and doing the, the drawings for, you know, uh, the storyboarding for the next shoot, like someone who just was obsessed with making films and just their whole life was consumed with that. But also there's like a, there's like an artisanal quality to these people yeah i would agree with that aspect uh, of comparison between those three directors i would say that this might actually offer us then a point of contrast for cameron both nolan and hitchcock to me it's been said this is not an original thought that many of their films are self-reflective about cinema about the the, the, the act of watching the act uh you know like people have described inception as a sort of allegory for filmmaking obviously vertigo rear window or about watching and scopophilia and things like that cameron seems to have whether you think it's successful or not 
bigger ambitions <laughs> and, and, and that i think that the men the long periods yeah. of time where he didn't make feature films yeah whether it was uh his you know when he dives to the wrecks of the bismarck and the titanic in the documentaries he's trying to solve a mystery in both cases to like improve our knowledge of these these events in aliens of the deep like i remember there's a moment where the the russian uh, commander of the, the ship is like you know the, we, it's time to do something real Keldish. the Keldish, yeah he's like it's time to do something real to do science real science they're like, you know they're going to discover something they're, and Cameron, the, the conversations he had, he's very comfortable having conversations with astrophysicists and uh, marine biologists and people, right? And likewise, you know, that as we found in that recent that recent profile on Cameron in GQ, that he is interested in pushing, you know, other ideas beyond just movies. You know, like when he's like, "Oh, I'm going to invest in lentils and, and seed crops," and yeah. you know, things like like he 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 doesn't see movies as like unimportant. He takes them with full seriousness. But he also, I think, has bigger ambitions in life. Or he has lots of interests. He has lots of interests. He's he's a, re- a true Renaissance man in a sense. Yeah, there's very few people who are a significant historical explorer. Like mm-hmm. right, like Cameron is the person who's gone the deepest in the ocean. Yeah, there's a there's a um, book in uh, or chapter in Rebecca Keegan's book, The Futurist, which Aaron and I both uh, you know read and used for uh, our our reviews. Where its title, it's the one on the the documentary is called The Modern Magellan. <laughs> Yeah, well, so we didn't eat, get eaten by cannibals. There, there is, there is definitely a Renaissance man quality to him, and also that that sense of like the <clears throat> capturing an interest in sort of the range of things mm-hmm. in life, and that leads him like this is maybe where he does have a similarity. You know, as you pointed out, he's interested. He's a humanist. He's deeply invested in people and emotions and connections, not just cold intellectual uh, activity. He. You know, he wants to move you. He wants to to make you feel. Yeah, and actually, it's, it's sort of interesting. Sort of like so, uh, in the in actual sort of Renaissance humanism, uh, one of the like one of the big texts, uh, Pico's on the dignity of man. Um, he talks about sort of humans as sort of between the spiritual and the animal, and it's sort of like you know the human potential. You can you can either make so much of yourself, or you can actually like do so little or descend. And it's interesting that this dichotomous view of technology, which we see, is almost um, it's almost like Pico's view applied to technology, where it's like technology can be a wonderful thing, but it also can be an utterly terrible thing. And it's on this spectrum, and you have to figure out what you're going to do with it. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I don't like Cameron is one of those kind of squirrely um, filmmakers, and like he doesn't he talks about influences, but he doesn't. I don't think he wants to ever be um, seen as a intellectual. Like he's not a guy who went to school. He's a guy who reads his, you know, he, he learned to f- do filmmaking by going to the libraries of um, University of Southern California and reading like the theses on special effects. Yeah. Well, it's he's like, oh, I'm, drugs. yeah, it's like, I'm curious about matte painting. I'm going to read 300 pages on like actually the, how, how it works. And then you he know, worked then, on uh, escape from New York. right? Exactly. He did the matte paintings for escape from New York. It's, it's that kind of thing. Um, so I don't think he has that much respect for the idea of like theory or things like that. Yeah. But yeah. I'd be curious. He wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't be consciously referencing this. No, but I'd be curious as to what his awareness is because whenever he does make influence in influence points, like whenever he talks to references, he always kind of speaks in broad strokes, something that's popular. So, you know, even though in with the the press tour around Avatar when he was kind of combating some of the the notions of it being derivative, he acknowledged that like, yeah, dances with wolves and Lawrence of Arabia and John Carter of Mars. Those are all influences because they're Mm -hmm. all this idea of like 
the outsider entering into like a strange foreign world and becoming like a great warrior within that world. But I don't think like his heart's not in the reference. It's just like he's never going to go deeper because he's not that interested in it. It's like, well, I made it up. I made he put together 50 pages, you know, proving that like I've thought of Avatar since I was 17 and I was thinking about when I was 25 and actually yeah, no, he's, this he's, and the other things were working as like prototypes for it. And it's just I did notice he's careful to always have he has a genesis story for most of his works. Yeah. That claims an early source of inspiration, often in dreams. Very Miltonian. Yeah. Milton would wake up with a verse of Paradise Lost and such. Or the strange coincidences like with Titanic that he, uh, mm. you know, he had just launched a, a ni- early 90s documentary and then he received an invite and it was like, oh, this is the thing. I-. And he would have had been interested, of course, when he was young. But. Can I say, so like I was going to say that in terms of Titanic, like my view is quite, quite, uh, changed quite a bit, right? Like I didn't ever like thought Titanic was a bad movie, like an outright bad movie, yeah. but I didn't really like it. Um, and now I think it's like a very good, if not great movie, maybe, maybe a great movie. Um, I still don't know if it's sort of Romeo and Juliet's story is that good. Um, I'm, I, you know, as you can sort of see in my review, I was mostly interested. I think the Rose and Jack story becomes really fascinating when it engages with um, the story of the ship. Yeah. And I think what I found very interesting about the movie that I sort of just was sort of in the back of my mind. And I feel like I didn't remember this to the same degree was how much this was a movie that was like about like one day and one night and focused on sort of the minute by minute like this is also a movie for um, someone like myself who's loves history. Like this is also a great history buff movie because he's, he's so meticulous in the recreation of uh, the setting and all that sort of stuff. But also like most of the people are real characters. Mm-hmm. They know where these people were, were on the deck, what they were doing. You know, we know from in Ghost of the abyss that the whole suggestion that maybe they were going too fast and that's why they hit the iceberg is picked up in someone's, uh, like later letter or diary where they said they overheard them having this conversation. Like, so, you, so this is, you know, it's, it's deep historicity and it's interest in history is partly what made me really like it mm-hmm. this time. And it, and, and it's just a super thrilling. Can I say though, that your review, I really appreciated your analysis though of Jack and Rose and the way that Jack functions as this kind of like ghost who like ties her back to that. And like, it's it's real it's very interesting when i think about that final the final shots of the movie take on a new like poignancy in a like i'm not i'm not saying that like, jack uh, isn't real because he interacts with other people right yeah, like course. he's he's no, fighting you and mean like, on a metaphorical but, level but he that, is like, in a way he represents like a everything that is what could have repre- been exactly but he's also the spirit of adventure that wakens that thing in your life i can't and believe the- i didn't say in my review that i was like oh r and j romeo and juliet rose and mm-hmm. jack like, why didn't I get that he took the initials and flipped it? Yeah, of course. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like, you know, Jack is him in a way, too. Yeah. Come on, yeah. he, he goes up around the Great Lakes. Yeah. Titanic's funny because it's that movie that, yeah, I think as a boy in, growing up in the 90s, you have that allergy to it because it's the movie <laughs> that girls love so much. Yeah, and you're... you're- and then I'm you finally watch it and you kind of begrudge and you're like, it's kind of cool when the ship sinks. <laughs> <laughs> and then you start watching, you know, you watch, the, you're finally old enough to watch the Terminator movies and you're like, oh, this guy's really cool. These are really cool movies. And then you really watch Titanic. And you're like, you know, it's actually like a pretty cool action movie in a way. And then, <laughs> and then finally, you know, so in my, my estimation of Cameron, which when I, f- I finally kind of engaged with titanic after having finally seen all of his other movies re-engaged with it during the 2012 re-release 
and I was like, oh, this is like far and away my favorite of his movies. Um, <laughs> hmm. To the point where I think it's, it is, I think it's like under, it is undersold how much that movie t- um, leans into this mythic nature of like the shared trauma, the shared catharsis, how the movie is the thing that you can project onto and like everyone can project onto. It's that, you know, it's the thing to weep with other people about in public all together and whatever emotions you are processing in that three hours and seven minutes is like, it doesn't matter what you bring to it because you're going to process it through. And it's so universal that it clearly works on everyone because it's been demonstrated for how it's broad appeal is. And I think the romance works into that too, where it's, it's, you know, it's a romance that just gets consummated, but that's it. Like it's just the tip of the beginning of something real and then it's abruptly ended so that it, you never get any of the downside of it. And it doesn't even have the Romeo and Juliet thing of a um, a tragedy chosen, right? It's a, cha- tra- yeah, it's a yeah, tragedy thrust really upon them. Really chosen. Exactly. And so I think it's interesting when engaging something like the Jack and Rose romance where it's, you can be like, well, the ro- I don't know if the romance is the strongest element of the film. It's like, but that's the thing. It's an element of the film. The, the hour and a half romance is not the movie. It's the first hour and 30 minutes or you know it's the first um of the first hour and 45 minutes it's like the 15 minute mark to the hour and 45 mark right but it also makes the finale of the movie better (laughs) no of course it does but what i'm saying is that you can't ever it's it's not like a segment that you can be like well as a romance it's a it's a b and then as a disaster movie, it's an A. It's like, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. You can't view the the romance outside of the yeah. disaster. It's, it's entirely. Because it's it's the classic Hollywood where you put the, the personal story beside the like the larger story. You run them parallel. And then when you conclude them together. But, um, it, you know, is the sort of thing where you wouldn't care about the disaster of the ship the same way if right. the film didn't make you care about those. And things. like I said, Cameron's been doing that for a while because the abyss the the resolution of their broken marriage is gonna save the world literally right yeah yeah which i what that's i think maybe what i find interesting about the abyss versus titanic even though like i said my my estimation of titanic has gone up massively um or or significantly i shouldn't say massively i always liked it i thought it was good but the abyss is different because it is the time it was made in his life when you know his uh, second marriage was was falling apart and uh you know, but it's and it's it's such a hopeful thing. I'm always reminded of that line. You know, like when when Avatar came out, and it's like you've got this whole thing where like they bond, you bond, you bond for life. You know, and and there was a sort of uh, yeah s- snide comment someone made. How could a guy who's been married what four times or five times make such a statement about marriage? And then someone said, oh, only a man who truly believes marriage is important would get married that many times, even if they didn't work out. Because like, wouldn't you just give up? couple times of trying to make this work but no he actually believes in something even if you fail at it you know but i think in the abyss there's this sort of hope that um that people who are professionals people who are who do have deep deep uh you know have built deep roots together can get through something even if in the moment that you know they're rough so that that's what i find interesting about the abyss because it's like after the you know they they had their initial romance when they were building you know working on building the the deep uh deep core deep core and uh then you know drifted apart and obviously you know things are basically as as strange as they can possibly be and then you know to be reunited in that way so 
Come on, breathe, baby. God damn it, breathe. God damn you bitch, you never backed away from anything in your life. Now fight! 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 Right now! Do it! Fight, god damn it! Fight! 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 That's it, Lindsay. That's it, Lindsay. You can do it. That's it, Lindsay. Come on back, baby. Come on. You can do it, baby. <laughs> but that, and then it's interesting that he does the the sort of more youthful, like romance later in his life. But I think then, and then maybe Avatar is the one that like brings it all together. Well, it's just think. Also, think about like how Cameron's movies are very much built on relationships. And it's one mm-hmm. of those things that I didn't, I haven't worked out in any of our conversations. And I, it's something that like, it doesn't come out in the reviews because it's a total view and it's not like a specific movie thing, but all of his movies are either romances or family movies, mm-hmm. every single yeah. one. And, and that's the often meme. that's the, the romance is dynamic. the first. And then the family movie is the second, right? And yep. we're going to so get Terminator into Terminator 2. <laughs> yeah. And it's this idea of crisis bringing out like and clarifying the importance of things right and this is again why terminator 2 and and the abyss are these like interesting midpoint movies where he clarifies so much of his style because you get it in the terminator you even get in prana too stupidly enough (laughs) right you it's the idea of you have to like the crisis brings the family together yeah 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 the sheriff and her are like yeah Yeah, the movie is a little bit of a um a you know a rough version of the abyss marriage Mm -hmm. yeah they're too familiar with each other familiarity breeds contempt but then crisis and a threat to their child brings them back together but you get their baby in uh the abyss exactly Exactly. But like Terminator's this romance that the it clarifies the important things, which is literally the survival of the human race through this child, right? Mm-hmm. The the hope that is born in a romance for the you know, a star crossed love. The aliens is the idea that even within this like colony breakdown, this this military breakdown, this entire like laying bare the absolute failure of certain human ambitions, it's like what is important here? Saving Newt. Newt's important. Like there's this makeshift family unit. And as you laid out in your review, Anton, the idea of that the, the alien queen views it absolutely the opposite way, right? There's no yeah. sentimentality. There's no nothing. It's just f- food yeah. and bodies. Well, it's a perverse mirror image, right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a twisted version. And it's just he's, he's working on this throughout. And then you get you know a weird movie, which we haven't picked up on yet. We haven't talked about it, but like True Lies. It's a movie <laughs> yeah. about what marriage can be in various different ways, but perhaps at its most like alluring on like a sexual level, on a, like an excitement level on the idea of um, bringing danger back into the bedroom, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Like literally yeah. by going out literally. and being spies and <laughs> yeah. defeating terrorists together. Yeah. But, but it's also the idea of how little lies build up and yeah. create like grand lies and almost national security threats. Right. Exactly. <laughs> because, you know, Harry Tasker is not a bad guy, but he has allowed his. But he's lying to his wife. He's, exactly. And he's put upon by work and he has. Yeah. He's got like, a yeah. psychopath best friend. Rewatch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, Tom Arnold is like a psychopath in that movie. Yeah. But like, I did find True Lies. Like, I, I don't love that movie. But um, <laughs> your review, Anders, helped me to appreciate like the domestic comedy 
I even still don't really like the action as much as his other movies. The sort of the no. cartoonish aspects at times are. It's eh. not at times. I don't. It's I don't extremely love cartoonish. Like I don't love. Remember the either. scene when she drops the Uzi and just spins. Yes, that's so like, funny. Where it spins down the stairs. It's very cartoonish. Like I mean, so uh, for those listening, we will have a ranking of Cameron for each of us, so you can know where we where we ultimately land each of these. Um, I do want to make sure we just talk about the uh, the three documentaries because mm-hmm. one great thing about this retrospective was also that i i finally watched these documentaries i'd never seen them before same we always think of them as um right we're always told oh you know that was just her minor cameron when he wasn't doing important stuff in the 2000s he was making these movies and watching them back to back i was like oh no like well one this was important to him he took he took these expeditions very seriously and they are actually important expeditions they're actually adding. It's only the second time going to the Bismarck. It's only like yeah. the third time going and to it, the Titanic. It solved historical questions. The Titanic finally got uh, footage of the inside. And then with the ROVs capturing imagery of um, creatures that live by the underwater vents. Oh, man. There's you know, that scene all... in Aliens of the Deep when the like giant squid goes by. Oh, yeah. Pops or up the, sorry, not a giant squid, a colossal squid. But yeah. And then there's some of these creatures they find. Like they're like, even the marine biology is like, I don't really know what that thing is. It's like there a jellyfish. This, thing, I watched right? it with my boys and they were like, uh, my one boy was like, oh, that's a Dumbo squid. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, cool. it, looks like, it looks like a Dumbo. It has little ears. It has little ears that it flies around with. I was like, that's it's very so adorable. That's actually one of the most beautiful animals that they find. Yeah. Because some of the other stuff's like truly like nightmarish. But, but, Watching them all together, I was like, one, I was impressed by Cameron's, like, um, I guess, ability to just be, like, successful and competent and leader in, like, other areas beyond film. Like, he's clearly leading these expeditions. You know, the way he talks with everyone, he's not an ass. He actually just seems, like, very, like, straightforward and, like, setting things out. And, like, and then also, like, watching them all together, it's like I got affection for, like, the whole crew of, like, the different, the ships. Like, some of the oddballs and the different pilots who I'd seen, like, three times Speaking of family. His brothers. Yeah, and then his right. brothers come on. Yeah. Mike and Mike and JD, right? Yeah, well, so in the um we the security Mike is so doing the ROVs. He designed them. Three brothers. And then in the third <laughs> one in the third one is one brother. And you Cameron has some sort of joke about like this is his like crap job number or whatever. And I was like, I don't know what that means. So I'll just but Mike, Mike is the guy who has the who operates the, the ROVs really and built them, right? And built them and designed yeah. them. But don't you love how personalized they become towards Jake and Elwood? How like they're like, oh, I don't want to lose this little buddy down in yeah. the Titanic. Yeah. Well, they, they have to go like, rescue, rescue him. him. Yeah. And Anton, truly one of the great. It is almost too ridiculous the scene, the fact that when they come up, it's nine eleven and like yeah. Bill Paxton like stops the them. The day they it's, rescue Jake and Elwood. Yes. They the come the, up and they're just like. There's a thing that's going on. Worst terrorist attack in, in history, Jim. We all were very wrapped up in what we were doing, and we all thought it was desperately important. Two separate hijacked commercial jets. And then this horrible event happened. But also just the themes. It's like you. It's your one. Your one in a century tragedy that like. You know, it's one of those things I was thinking of during the 2012 theatrical 3D re-release of Titanic. It's like some of these people watching the movie, their touchstone is 9-11. That's the the, like shared tragedy that everybody has witnessed. And you're processing that crap while watching this movie. Like, (laughs) yeah. And those those are distinct events from, say, um, I was thinking about how, you know, well, I teach a course on plagues pandemic, but like things like covid Things like World War One, which are obviously larger scale, whether global or entire continent, but they're cataclysms on like a, a civilizational level. 
Um, they also so take people, place over a long period of time. Yeah, and people will always be like, um, like you know, you'll always remember like aspects of those. But the difference, the difference between say like, but then the reason why um, 9-11 is, is, is like a Titanic is because that's that singular event which shocks the world, right? It's a particular tragedy it's of thousands unforeseen. of people and unforeseen. And like, you know, people were in 1912, like being like, oh my goodness, like, I can't believe this happened. But, but remember the technology, technology also allows the trauma to permeate globally. So they yeah, make a key they point in Ghost of the Abyss is that the telegraph allows that that morning's paper is Titanic tragedy, thousands die at sea. Yeah. Like everybody the next day knows that all these people died in yeah. the Atlantic. It's like, and, oh my God, what's happening? And that's God, the equivalent of like people waking watching up and seeing the news and seeing the, the Twin Towers. Literally there. watching the towers fall live. Like we yeah, watched that. Exactly. We saw it. Number two, yeah. I think it's like, it's it's easy to undersell um, Cameron when we're talking about like popular filmmaking. We're talking about his technological capabilities and the fact that he is like pitching to these these universal um, stories that that move us, that draw us towards like the cinema or just the, like shared experiences, emotional experiences that we have with each other. Like he, he seems to be very much, you know, even though in in Expedition Bismarck, you know, there's the scene where they're taking the photo before they go down. He's like, this is me yeah. smiling. This is the most you'll get. Like he, <laughs> he likes to present himself. I'm like, I'm a hard ass, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm not like an emotional guy. And it's like, you're the biggest, like you made a three hour 3D epic about like, tree hugging that wants you want people to cry <laughs> about like <laughs> it's just so funny it's like your movies prove the lie like you care so much about audiences changing their lives watching this so what would be like to to maybe wrap up to keep this short like what's a short key takeaway that you come away with for like for Cameron? because my mind would be that watching all of his movies in a row um i came away with thinking that um wow i never realized how um thematically coherent his body of works is that he keeps returning the same preoccupation yeah there's no movie um, that doesn't explore those things no is there is there anything else that like would be a quick takeaway that you're sort of like wow like you know that i was just struck by how much his films uh engaged on an emotional level because we we've talked so much about the technical and the mm. professionalism and all those kind of things but like there's a even in the documentaries there's a you know it's not like the spielbergian wonder per se but and, yeah it's at a all different but, it, but there's a but there's a deep like emotional engagement with uh you know other human beings and with these the events that we go through that bind us together and i, I think that also crosses through all his films i feel like there it's weird for a guy who's so known for action because he seems to have such a deep reverence for life mm -hmm. that comes across in his movies and you get it in all of them like you get aliens the like you know even bishop right mm -hmm. his heroic going out there and again torn in half by the alien queen and it's this like no we have to protect the girl you get the thumbs up at the end of t2 you get you know, the Titanic, maybe the the scene that like might kill me the most, which is the gentleman, it's been an honor playing with you tonight, the quartet. And then they walk away and they turn back around and they keep playing the music. And it's just like that's it's so insane that they would keep playing that music. And they did historically. Yeah. They did keep playing the music as the ship went down over the two and a half hours. Gentlemen. It's been a privilege playing with you tonight. But it, and then you get, you know, Avatar, you get the moments in the, in the climax 
of you know characters dying like Trudy and Sute, but you also get the the horror at nature's destruction. You get that shot mm-hmm. of the horse running yeah, on yeah. fire, which just like gets me. So it's it's I find it like terrifying because it's just this idea of destruction of nature that's like you know that horse never asked for it (laughs) like it's he just seems to be able to tap into that deep emotional thing which is weird when you're coming in a you know a movie that like again guys like speared or like heads blown (laughs) off or in terminator movies like how many people just get absolutely murked (laughs) yeah but he's he really does seem to have that that reverence for for humanity and that deep appreciation of life and like you know his his documentaries are not his greatest works i think you know in terms of the grand scale things they are minor but they're they're interesting and they're instructive and they do fit in with the rest. But there's that shot in Ghost of the Abyss, the first time they see the Titanic, right? And it's the bow of the ship and it is towering and it's almost like a giant gravestone under the water. And you're just like, oh my goodness. Like it, you're, you're just kind of like taken aback for a second. You're like, we forget oh yeah, that's again it. how big it was. Yeah. How big and it's real and there was people there. And like his movies always point back to the fact that like, no, this isn't just entertainment. This isn't just three hour, you know, three hours fun with your friends and family. Like, what, and he wants it to be that, but he always is reminding. It's like, no, there's there's a meaning, there's a deeper thing, and there's something that you need to understand about, like what is valuable in these stories we tell each other and what they remind us about each other. He's extremely corny. He really is. He's sentimental, <laughs> but I think it works, especially with that scale. I order you not to go. I order you not to go. I know now why you cry. But it's something I can never do. I hope you got something out of this conversation. I, I hope you've been following along with the retrospective. Or if you haven't, check out it out at uh, threebrothersfilm.com. We've got very in-depth reviews of all these movies and we also got the youtube video essay which just offers a six minute kind of intro to his films so i hope i hope you find these instructive especially as you i'm gonna assume you're gonna go see wave water um even if you maybe are no you're gonna see it (laughs) everybody's gonna see it thanks for listening we'll catch you next time goodbye mr i bid you farewell